You are now listening to Small Monster Podcast. Yeah, what am I, I getting know, into? I what are you doing tonight? What's what is going on? I think <laughs> I think I have a problem. <laughs> you sure do. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Small Market Podcast with your host Wataki and Hoffman. Hope you're all doing well out there in radio podcast land. Wataki, how you doing today? I'm doing phenomenal. Uh, Hoffman, yes, happy sir. birthday, sir. Oh, thank you. Yes, Hoffman's birthday. We would all sing him happy birthday, but no one other, he wouldn't be able to hear anybody other than me. So Nobody's listening I'll, live. Yeah, I'll just say, yeah. say happy birthday. Sir. I appreciate that. There's nothing I'd rather be doing than than doing a podcast on my birthday. Yeah, I took the day I off. I put you to work. And prepared for it. I, th- this is my, my gig. This is my job. I love doing this stuff. So, yeah, this was, uh, this was a pleasure. And not only that, but we got a, we got a real life celebrity to (laughs) (laughs) like we've never had real life celebrities well we've had but it's it's a rare occurrence right Right, yeah it's it's not extremely often exactly i mean we don't always get a michael westendorf on the show westendorf (laughs) cringe today (laughs) we got mr gregory kelser on the show this is his second time appearing on our show he was very kind to us uh, a class act, in my opinion. Yeah, he's a throwback. Yeah, and you and I both read his book. You, we, we could do a whole podcast on the struggle of you trying to find not one but two copies of Mister Kelser's book. You hunted down two copies. Well, of Michigan's of Tales from Michigan State Basketball. So here's the deal: you can go to Greg Kelser's website, mm-hmm. gregorykelser.com. And you, I believe it's GregoryKelser.com. Yes. Um, we'll post the link. And you can buy his book. However, I knew that we were going to be doing... This is my own fault. I knew that we were going to be doing this months in advance. And I waited till the last week when we got the, <laughs> when we got the date set up because I'm not good at looking ahead into the future on things. And I was like, oh, man, I got a week to get this book. So now I'm looking all over to get it. Long story short, I ended up getting two copies of it, which yeah. worked out well. Um, kind of by accident. Kind of by accident, because I ordered one, and I didn't know if it was going to ship in time. And then I was like, all right, give me, you know, and then I went to a bookstore and found a used copy of another one. So yeah. I was able to get you one and read one myself. Which was super helpful. Uh, absolutely. And there's so many great stories in that book. Yeah. Is. This book is awesome. This is a really, really cool book. And a lot of little anecdotes and... In, um, in, not just about him, but that whole team for Michigan State. Yeah. That whole national championship team. And... What an iconic game that is. Larry right. Bird on one side, Greg Kelser, Magic Johnson, and the mm-hmm. rest of the state team on the other side in that national championship game. Bird's team's undefeated going into it. He hands them their only loss of the season in the final. I mean, right? just... I am such a... Yeah. You gotta make a movie out of this, this story. Dude, Wataki, I am such a like a fanboy of that, of that rivalry and... Like there's books written about the the rivalry between Magic and Bird, and especially and it starts kind of in from this college. game in, yeah, college. in college in, in that game in that team. Yep. In, in like and I was reading it and I'm thinking, you know, the new coach Judd Heathcote comes in and he's hard nosed, you know, in your face, do it my way, and you got uh, Greg Kelser and the rest of the Spartans and they kind of 
I mean, they're they're not crazy or nothing, but they kind of do their own thing, and it's kind of like one of those movies that Disney makes where they all kind of find a mutual respect and they come together and gel at the right moment. And then, like I say, you could make a movie on that year in Spartans basketball. Quite honestly, right? Exactly. Well, and and to get his side of the story or to get the story from Greg Kelser, to he's like the perfect spectator because he's such a good storyteller. He's he's got plenty of experience being a, a broadcaster for the Pistons for many years. Mm-hmm. So getting to talk to him on every level, I, I feel like we missed the mark the first time we talked to him. We absolutely did. You know, we just we really didn't we didn't give him the credit he deserved. We didn't we completely we overlooked didn't have a good subject material. Really, yeah. our questions weren't on point. Um, it was just a rough interview all the way around. Yeah. And, and, like I was talking to you about it before the show, we left. I felt like we left that interview feeling it was kind of awkward and clunky. So I can only imagine how it felt on his end. Right. He, he probably thought the same exact thing. Like, who the hell are these guys, and what the hell am I doing, Courtney? Why just setting me up with these guys? Right. He was such a like I said to you before. You know, he he probably asked her, "Which one of these guys are you dating? Are you yeah, dating like, one of these dudes? Is that why I'm doing this a favor for somebody? Like, yeah. what are we doing here? Exactly. And he he was just such a class act. He was very polite to us last time, mm-hmm. and this time super cordial. It was a really nice, loose interview, very conversational, yeah. and uh, I think we cracked him up a few times. Yeah, um, kind of humored him and maybe flattered him a little bit. Um, but dude, he, he deserved every bit of adulation. I think he, he just, I really dug this book. Yeah, I thought it was I, great. Like I, like I told him at the start, I, as a Michigan fan, it makes you fall in love with Michigan state basketball, Michigan state basketball. When you read this book is everything that you see in the Michigan football program, put into the Michigan basketball program, the tradition, the prestige, uh, just doing things the right way, being uber professional about everything, and winning, winning on a big level, and it's all in that book. And you can't walk away from it, but love Michigan State basketball and the person that that Greg is. So exactly. So without further ado, this is our our uh, this was our interview with Mr. Kelser. The last time uh, that we had you on, we never introduced ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was kind of awkward, and we apologize for that. I'm Andy. I'm the guy that's been emailing you. This is AJ, my co-host. Um, so we, we appreciate you being on. Um, we read your book, uh, Tales from Michigan State. We and both we both read it cover to cover, and we loved it. So All right. Now, now, that being said, though, Greg, I am admittedly a Michigan fan my whole life. And I'll tell you what, this... Reading this book cover to cover, you almost you fall in love with Michigan State basketball. And as a Michigan fan, that's frustrating. And if my my family listens to this episode, they're probably going to excoriate me. But, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) That being said, you're probably wondering why 14 years after after you publish this book that we're we're having you on. Um, One of the reasons, obviously, is is uh it's march madness is coming up we're we're creating we're coming to a climax in that um in michigan state basketball is synonymous with this time of the year they're a blue blood program and i was telling hoffman off off the air here that 
that doesn't happen. The Michigan State that we think of, like our generation and younger, doesn't happen without the 79 national championship team, your team. Um, and so that's why we thought it was really appropriate to have you on. Um, so I'll, I'll get right into it. Uh, how were you first, if you could explain, how were you first uh, approached by Michigan State in the recruiting process? I was playing, uh, I was I was studying and playing basketball at Henry Ford High School in Detroit. And it was my senior year in December of 1974. And we were scheduled to play in a basketball tournament, Christmas tournament at Northwestern High School. Northwestern was one of the uh, preeminent uh, sports programs, regardless of sport, basketball, football, baseball, they were one of the best uh, in the city of Detroit at that time. And they had uh, a number of fine athletes on their basketball team, but one in particular was Alan Hardy, who was a six foot five swing man, um, who was rated as one of the best players, not just in the state of Michigan, but one of the best players in the country. And we were playing them in the opening round of their Christmas tournament and Michigan State and a whole bunch of other schools were at the game to recruit Allen. Um, it just so happened that I had a great game. And so a lot of schools began to recruit me after watching me perform against Allen and the Northwestern team. And uh, Michigan State was the one that, that, that came uh, heavily after me. In fact, they were they, they, they were recruiting Alan and myself. And Alan and I, because we realized we were now being recruited by a lot of the same schools, uh, we started, to, we, we struck a friendship and we started to compare notes with some of our visits. And we eventually agreed that we would go to the same school, that we, would, that we wanted to play together and have a chance to uh, win at the collegiate level. And we felt like that would be enhanced if we went to the same school. And we both, in fact, verbally committed to Michigan State. But as it turned out, um, I signed with Michigan State and Allen went to Michigan. So uh, we went from being friends to rivals. Um, and we weren't friends at all during those four years when we were in college. But eventually we became friends again. And I uh, like Allen uh, a great deal. But uh, that's how uh, things started for, uh, for me uh, with Michigan State. Now, in your book, uh you go on to say that you had, obviously Michigan State courted you the hardest, uh, but Michigan had sent you a letter and that uh, a while after you had already signed with Michigan State, you opened it and seen there was two tickets. Now, me being a Michigan fan, was there, if you would have opened that prior to signing or prior to those tickets expiring, would there have been any chance that you would have gone to the game or considered Michigan at all? Oh, yeah, sure. I would have considered Michigan, but I, I think I would have still gone to Michigan State because it ultimately came down to me wanting to play for Gus Kanakis, who's the head coach at that time. I signed with uh, Michigan State on the strength of uh, Gus Kanakis and his lead assistant, uh, Vernon Payne. They both spent a great deal of time in Detroit uh, at my home with my family, and they really recruited all of us. Uh, they recruited my family. And being that I'm not from Michigan originally, my father is, that's how we uh, came to uh, make our home in Michigan after my dad finished his 20 year career in the United States Air Force. Um, but 
because I'm not from this area, I had never been to East Lansing, Michigan. I had never seen the campus. And yet I signed with Michigan State on the strength of my relationship with those two aforementioned gentlemen, uh, Vernon Payne and, and, and uh, Gus Kanakis. Now, I eventually did take a visit to East Lansing, but it was two weeks after I had signed my national letter to go there. Um, so having said that, I don't think that, uh, I mean, unless, unless Johnny Orr and, and his assistants uh, would have been just off the charts, uh, charismatic and, and, uh, and, and, and influential and genuine about how much they felt I could help their program, unless they just really, really far exceeded any, any uh, expectations that anyone could have imagined, I don't think that it would have changed anything. Right on. That, that's kind of, I was talking to AJ off here, it's kind of like a butterfly effect. Um, the, a lot of things fell into place, like not opening that letter. Uh, Vernon Payne is somebody that you mention a lot in the book. He is someone that, had he steered you in any other direction, there's no 79 national championship team because you don't go there. Magic Johnson probably does not go to Michigan State if you're not there. And this, both of you could have, you could have went to Arizona State. Like, I believe it was Arizona State, correct? Yes, it was. And, they were a very good program at the time. And then Magic might have gone to wherever he was being recruited heavily at. And we're not, you know, you might not see the Spartans as the juggernaut they are, you know. Um, your thoughts on, on Vernon Payne? Well, Vernon Payne was, uh, first of all, Vernon Payne was a, a very good um uh, excellent. He was an excellent athlete uh, in college himself. He played uh, on an Indiana team that won the uh, Big Ten Championship, I believe, in 1967. So uh, he was an excellent player who uh, had moved on into coaching. And as I said, I met him because he was recruiting me uh, out of high school and, and, and many other athletes. But he was just charming. He was a, a, a just a very nice man. You couldn't help but like him, but he was very honest with you too. And he told me he thought I could play and thought I could play right away and thought that Michigan State would be a great fit for him, for me. Um, he was sort of like a, uh, uh, a, 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 not a father figure, but he was, he was sort of like a, uh, well, you could say a father figure. Oh, you know, I was very happy and very fortunate to have my father in my life and at home. But uh, away from home, he was kind of an extension of that. And I trusted him. And I, would, I could talk to him about anything that was bothering me. Um, like I said, hard not to like and hard to say no to. Uh, if, if, if he told you he wanted you and he felt like you would be a, uh, that you would be a benefit for the program, you believe that. Um, he recruited several other players that would go on to help Michigan State win a, a national championship. My teammates, Ron Charles and, and Irvin Magic Johnson, and uh, we were all recruited by Vernon Payne. And, and, and Vernon Payne was on his way out the door at Michigan State when he helped them sign Irvin Magic Johnson. He, he signed Irvin knowing that he'd never coach him. He'd never be a part of his career at Michigan State. He had already decided to leave and, and go coach at Wayne State University in Detroit. So he sort of did Michigan State a huge favor in, uh, in helping to uh, seal the deal on, on Urban uh, before leaving. And 
you know, again, uh, he probably doesn't get a, in, enough credit for his his role and his impact on putting the people in place to uh, help Michigan State uh, uh, and our our charge to uh, to a championship. Well, that that certainly speaks to his class to be able to know, knowing that you won't be there to celebrate the success, but to continue to push for it for some on behalf of somebody else. That that definitely speaks to his class. Um, in the book, you you seem like you butt heads a lot with Judd Heathcote. I mean, his, I shouldn't say you butt heads a lot, but he's he, he is one of those old school, hard nosed coaching style coaches. And how much did your um, being a part of a military family help you in that situation to be able to handle that kind of a coaching where? Some people might not be able to handle it. I can't remember the specific name from the book, but there was a gentleman that that quit the team um, due due to Judge Heath, Judd Heathcote. Well, there were Judd was a tough coach. He was a, a hard driving, uh, in your face every day uh, type of uh, motivator, and that was his style. And if you weren't used to it, then it was difficult to become used to. And I can't say that I was used to that especially having played my first year with uh, Gus Kanakis, who was the other extreme of that. Very effective, but just totally different in his manners of, uh, of pushing and, and getting players to, to, to play and, and reach their potential. Um, I've often said that, you know, for the first time in, in my basketball career up to that point, and I'm not talking about a ton of years, but I started playing basketball on, on an organized level when I was 10 years old. And by the time uh, Coach Heathcote came around, I was 19. So um, it was it was definitely tough getting used to that on a daily basis. Uh, a coach who, who who accentuated negative, in other words, you know, he really harped on your weaknesses, and he didn't care too much about the things that you did well. He wanted you to 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 be uh, attentive to uh, detail in terms of how you can get better on the things that you don't do so well. And uh, you know, every day with that can 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 you know can be overwhelming for sure. But uh, you know, having been in the military and having understood discipline and, and respect for authority and, and things of that nature, it helped me tremendously. Uh, I understood who the boss was. And I also realized that if I was going to be a part of his program and if I was going to thrive and get better, I had to work with him. Now, the one thing I can say about Coach Heathcote that I truly appreciate, always have appreciated and been thankful for is that if you belonged out there on the court, then you were on the court. He didn't play mind games with you. He didn't mess with your playing time. He didn't punish the team to make a point to any one one individual. Now he might he had his ways of getting getting after you for sure, as I mentioned. But uh, when it came to putting the people out there that gave us the best chance to win, he did that um, every single time. I started every game I played for Judd Heathcote. Every single game that I played for him. I started because I was supposed to be out there and, and, and the same thing with all the other people. Um, so I, I, I think that he understood. Um, I think that, you know, when it was all said and done, I think coach Eco learned a lot about uh, players and, and, you know, young men, uh, you know, you're never too old to, to learn. And I think that in, in he never, I can't say he ever mellowed, but I think that, you know, he, I think he, he reshaped some of his, uh, methods and, and some of his coaching style uh, over the years, but for um, but 
for the for the for the guys that that had to play for him his first two or three years, <laughs> oh, it was some there were some days when when you felt like maybe not going going to practice or or I, I have to be honest with you. But having said all of that, and if I had to do it all over again, uh, I certainly would not run away from playing for Judd Heacote. He helped me to become an All-American basketball player. He helped me to become uh, a, a professional basketball player. And he also pushed us all to graduate, to get our degrees, and, and, and that was important as well. So uh, he covered all the bases. All right. Excellent. Um, I know you're going to downplay this a little bit, Mr. Kelser, because it's only like a short blurb in the book. Like you tried to kind of just sneak it by, but um, uh, and I'm a big Magic fan, but I'm sure that people bother you about Magic Johnson every day, so we're not going to do that. But I just wanted to ask you um, if you could kind of tell us a story about how you helped develop the hook shot in Magic's game. Oh, I developed his hook shot. How you helped? Well, it says that in the book where you kind of helped develop, helped him develop his hook shot, like when he when. They went when he went to the Lakers, and he was doing that in the playoffs and stuff. And I know you you're laughing, but like um, they kind of the I, press asked him I about probably, it. I, I probably said that tongue in cheek. No, I, uh, let me tell you. Let me tell you something about Urban Johnson. Sure. Uh, he, he was a hard worker, um, and he was a driven uh, player, uh, and winning meant everything to him. So he did not mind putting in the time to make himself better. Um, I really appreciate that about him, and I admire that about him. And even when he became a professional, he was one of the best players in the league. He would always spend time in the offseason trying to add one or two elements to his game that would make him better than the year prior. And this was even after he had won uh, a couple of championships, after he had won some MVP trophies. He was still looking to get better and better. That's just how how important uh, not resting on uh, his accomplishments and, and wanting to be the very, very best. Uh, that's how important those things were to him. So he did not mind putting in the time. I feel very fortunate that, uh, that, I, that my time at Michigan State coincided with his because uh, how often do you get a chance to play with one of the, one of the greatest players of all time? And, that, and that's what he is. He's on that list. He's on that, he's on that list of maybe the top 10 uh, basketball players of all time, maybe even the top five. Um, yeah. I, um, I, I think that, um, you know, I used to take uh, exception to people saying that he made me better. But I understand that term a lot, lot more now than I used to. Um, because when he went to Los Angeles, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a 10-time All-Star and uh, a champion. Yet, when Irving got to Los Angeles, he made Kareem better. Now, if that can be said about another player that's on that very short list of all-time great basketball players, then certainly, uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel like maybe I need to take exception to it. Uh, he, he really enhanced what I did well, and who wouldn't want to play with somebody like that? Right. Well, and that could be said about, you know, um, all great players is they, they – tend to make their entire team around them better but going back and watching some of those clips and and doing our homework on you um we i noticed at least that you both made each other better 
you know um i think you both drove each other and uh even as driven as he was you, you guys you guys you know elevated each other's game um you know uh you and well, that was one of the, that 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 was the reason why I think he envisioned and dreamed of success playing with me at Michigan State. And certainly I had those same visions um, when he signed with Michigan State, understanding that here's a guy that can get you the basketball uh, at the at the precise time that maybe you should have it. Um, he can he can uh, he can he can take pressure off so that you don't have to do everything all by yourself. Um, and I think he understood that I could help his game because I could go and get just about any pass that, that he could throw. And right. uh, especially his lobs, his alley-oops. I mean, I could go up there and, and, and finish the play. And, and so it made us both better. We complemented each other. And, of course, Michigan State as a, as a team was the, was the, uh, the beneficiary <laughs> of, uh, of both of our skills. You can go ahead and say it. You gave him that hook shot. You know, we won't we won't blame you. Uh, I know that the whole the narrative is that Kareem gave that to him or passed that down to him or whatever. But we know who really gave it to him. That was that was you back at Michigan State. So we, we played a lot of horse games, and, yeah. and I won most of those. I, I won most of those, and uh, I probably used the hook shot a couple of times to put that last letter on him. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, getting back a little more serious here often uh back then there was no shot clock and i didn't i didn't know that i didn't until reading this book and stuff i'd not you know i born in 83 so this is all kind of before my time so i'm reading the book and stuff you're fourth on the spartans all-time scoring list and first still hold the rebounding record um does it ever creep in the back of your mind, though, that had there been a shot clock where you wouldn't be able to run the 75% offense in the book, that you might still be number one? I mean, that, think of all that time. Well, you know what? There, there was no shot clock, and, and there was no three-point shot. Well, that's so, that too, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know what? I may have added a few more points, but I, I was, um, I was the... Uh, I remember when I was a freshman and Terry Furlow, my teammate, who great teammate, a fantastic player, uh, one of the best players I ever played college ball with, um, and an extremely hard worker. He uh, he he set the uh, the new record in 1976, and I said then that you know I feel like I can break that record, and uh, and certainly I was able to do that. That was just one of the individual. Uh, achievements that I had set for myself. Obviously, winning a national championship for Michigan State was the ultimate goal. But I, I was the I was the leading scorer for for seven years. And I remember in Scott Skiles' first year as a freshman, and my father, we were watching a Michigan State game, and we were looking at Skiles. And my dad said that that's the guy that's going to break your record because you know uh, Scott was that that impressive uh, in his first year at Michigan State. And lo and behold, uh, he did break it. And then, of course, Steve Smith broke his. And then uh, Sean Respert broke his. So um, I, 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 while it would be nice to, to still be up there, nothing takes the place of the championship. And I'm sure those three guys that are ahead of me in scoring would trade it all if they could, uh, you know, if they could say they won a championship for the school. Now, as far as rebound is concerned, I am second now. I'm no longer. Oh, I'm. Yeah, Jim, oh, Draymond. That's, that's right. That's yeah, right. 
Yeah, Draymond Green passed me up uh, by four rebounds. Yeah, you only got four on you. Yeah. I I kid him all the time. He beat me by four rebounds, but he played 30 more games. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But then just as I say that, I have to acknowledge that I beat, you know, when I I got the record, it, it, it belonged to Johnny Green. And I probably played 25 more games than Johnny Green. Johnny Green is, without a doubt, not only the best rebounder in Michigan State's basketball history, he's probably one of the best rebounders in Big Ten basketball history. So, you know, we all have to kind of give it up and uh, and, and face the truth. But, you know, once again, um, the thing that's so, the thing that's so uh, important to me, and, and I had a lot of individual uh, success at Michigan State, of which I'm very proud. But winning that national championship, um, it just, it it caps it all off. That's the crowning jewel for me because uh, you can go all around uh, the the, the basketball history and you'll find plenty of individual achievements from some great players and, 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 but you, you know, only a select few get to say that they actually won uh, the championship, and I'm proud of that. I wish we had won two. Well, and and to say that you beat Larry Bird doing it, I mean, that's pretty darn cool. So that in in your book, Craig, one of my favorite lines that I read, and I actually kind of chuckled out loud, was when you, when it was written, someone asked you. Are you glad you made Larry Bird cry? I, I actually chuckled out loud reading that. I was like, and I thought about it. I was like, man, if you're that dude to do something like that, you hang your hat on that. Right. <laughs> Larry, Larry was a tremendous player. Probably, probably the best player that uh, that I faced in college that uh, I had to deal with that we had to deal with because he was so incredibly talented and like urban, he, he was driven, uh, had an incredible will to win, hated losing. Um, and the only way we could even slow him down was to play him with, you know, an extra defender, the entire game. We weren't not going, we were not going to be able to stop him by guarding him man to man or with one guy. Um, we had to make sure there was added attention applied to him so that uh we could just have a chance i mean we, we sat and watched him uh in their semi-final game against depaul shoot 16 for 19 and score 36 points against man-to-man defense and we knew that you know we try to do that he'd do the same thing to us so the way we defended him showed the respect that we had for him um and even with that, Larry still managed to get 19 points, uh, but you know he needed 21 shots uh, to get there, and that's exactly what we needed to happen. And then we we couldn't allow him to 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 pile up a bunch of assists uh, to his teammates. So we were able to cut down his passing lanes with our length, with our our uh, our zone, and and our extra defend, defender on him, and uh, ultimately win 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 the game and give them their only loss of the season. But um, you you know when when people like to bring up that you know Larry was crying in a towel, well, there was going to be some crying that night. It was either going to be them or it was going to be us. You don't get that far and not achieve what you came there to get. Uh, 
and not feel it and not have your emotions uh, just absolutely uh, ravaged if you don't get it done. So I could empathize with him, but I'm so glad that it was not us. But have we, <laughs> yeah, have we lost that game? And especially me, I was a senior. I was the only senior on our team. So it was over for me, win or lose. And I did not want to go out without the championship. Right. Fair enough. Now, can, oh, go ahead. sorry, Andy. Um, I was going to say with uh, yeah. The reason we kind of have you on now is is because of the timing, because of uh, March Madness and the tournament coming up. Um, I don't know if you still follow college basketball or if you have. I mean, I have to imagine winning the championship yourself. You you this time of year always feels good every year since that's happened. Uh, do you have any insights as to um, on the tournament this year? I mean, it's a little before Selection Sunday, and uh, what's you know, what's going to take place. The only thing I can say about this year's tournament is probably going to be unlike any we've seen in the last 40 years, because you've got so many uh, dominant programs, uh, top-notch programs that A, may not even be there, and B, if they get there, they will get there barely and may not be there very long. I'm talking about North Carolina. I'm talking about Duke. I'm talking about Kentucky. And, uh, Absolutely. you know, yeah. weeks ago, I even had my, my, my alma mater, Michigan State, in that group. But I think they've emerged. I think that they, their, their impressive run over the last two weeks, two and a half weeks, beating number two, number three, number four, uh, they, they've got to be in now. They, they've got to be in. And because they're cresting, because they're doing what Tom Izzo teams usually do is play their best ball come late February into March, they're doing that right now. So I think they're going to be uh, okay. They can shock some people. But um, the fact that all those other programs that would always have a good shot at getting number one seeds in their regions and, and, and advancing all the way to the final four, you don't have any of that this year. So teams like Gonzaga and teams like Baylor and and uh, Big Ten teams like Michigan and Illinois and, and uh, Ohio State, they're, they're all – feeling like, hey, this is our year. This is our chance. And I think that's just going to make the tournament even better uh, because of the unpredictable uh, nature that's involved now. Absolutely, yeah. Craig, I want to ask you, um, in the book, uh, you know, Lambeer plays for for Notre Dame, and you guys you guys beat them pretty handily in, uh, in the, regionals, the regional finals there. You... Do you ever give it? Have you ever come across Lambeer uh, after that? You know, broadcasting for Fox Sports Detroit and stuff, and him being a former Piston. Do you ever, you ever needle him a little bit? <laughs> no, no. I, you know, that's not my style. Um, Bill, Bill played for. Uh, Bill wasn't the only one on that Notre Dame team. Uh, they had six future NBA players on that on that team. Uh, Bill Lambeer, Kelly Trapuca, Bill Hanslick, uh, Tracy Jackson. Um, uh, Orlando Woolridge and Bill Fla- and Bruce Flowers. So, you know, they were loaded. They were absolutely loaded and had gone to the Final Four the year prior, and they lost in the first round. But, you know, they were looking to get back, and, and we were looking to get there because we'd lost, you know, just we'd lost in the regional finals the year before. So when we met them, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a big game for both teams, but it was especially – 
big for us because we 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 were the team that watched Notre Dame on television seemingly every weekend. And this was at a time when you didn't get a whole lot of national coverage, but Notre Dame seemed to be one of those programs that was just always on television. Uh, they were known throughout the country. So when we got a chance to play them on national chan- on national television for the, champ- for the chance to, to get to Salt Lake City in the Final Four, uh, we were extra juiced to, uh, to make it happen. So uh, we went out and played one of our best games of the season. Um, uh, got our, you know, got the job done, as, as, as we like to say, and, and we advanced. But you know, once 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 I got to the NBA, uh, that, that was especially when you win. There's never any reason to to gloat, to uh, you know, to to to, to, to needle anybody. Uh, not as far as I'm concerned. Uh, uh, I had a lot of respect for Bill. Bill went on to have an amazing uh, professional career, two-time NBA champion. Um, everybody in the country knows and knows about Bill Ambeer, respects his game. Um, but I, I see Bill, I used to see Bill all the time because, you know, we played against each other in the NBA. And then when I, when I ended my pro career, I became a broadcaster with the Detroit Pistons. So I was there for all of Bill's success as a player with the Pistons. And then for uh, a, a number of years, uh, we were both broadcasting with the Pistons as he was doing uh, half the schedule and I was doing the other half of the schedule. So I would see him all the time, but there was never any, uh, any need to go back and talk about you know what happened in college uh and you know and i'm thankful i'm thankful that we won and, and uh his winning had to come later at the uh his championship days had to come later in the nba but uh you know it, there's 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 nothing for bill Lambert to be ashamed about he had a, an incredible career career yeah. and he still had one as a coach you're yeah. you're absolutely right uh Oh, speaking of the Pistons, since we're kind of kind of discussing that, I was reading the book and you said in there at some when you got drafted by the Pistons that you had to be you you were like I had to be consoled by Irvin's mother. For me, and I'm speaking just as a fan. I grew up in Michigan, lived here my whole life. You to me, you are synonymous with the Detroit Pistons. Watching you on TV every you know every game and stuff. So for me to hear that, I was kind of taken back, like, whoa, you know, because, you know, when I'm a kid, I'm just, I don't, I don't think nothing of it. Like, hey, he's got his own life to live. I'm thinking Greg Kelser is, you know, a piston, you know, he bleeds piston blue. You know what I mean? Um, I do. I do now. (laughs) I do now. But, you know, that wasn't necessarily the case when I was in college. Now, I was a piston band. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Going to high school in Michigan and, you know, I got the chance to meet. Uh, Bob Lanier, I worked at his basketball camp when I was in college. Uh, the great Dave Bing, I got a chance to meet him, and 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 I even played for a former a former Detroit Piston in high school when Ben Kelso, the uh, Central Michigan great, um, was let go by the Pistons. He came, he began his coaching career right at Henry Ford High School as an assistant coach. So, uh, you know, I used to work out at the YMCA with Don Adams and. And uh, I played in Willie Norwood's summer, summer basketball program. These are all Detroit Piston players that I had access to from the age of 14, 15 on through, uh, all the way through college. So I was a Piston fan. But by 1978, 79, the Pistons were in a bit of turmoil. They were, they were not one of the top programs, one of the top teams in the league. Um, 
I had endured sort of a, a rebuilding process at Michigan State to become a winner. And I wanted to continue that at the NBA level. So with the Pistons not being in that particular uh, stage of, of their reorganization, uh, I, I was hoping to go to you know, one of the better teams, sort of like my teammate Irvin Magic Johnson did. He went to the Lakers and you know, they were already a championship caliber team. They add him and you know, the rest is history. I mean, they, they, yeah, yeah. they, they top program for the next 12, 13, 14 years. So I kind of wanted that too. Um, but once the Pistons uh, drafted me, I, I did, you know, yeah, I felt a little down at, on draft day um, because word had it that Seattle was also interested. And Seattle was the team that just won the championship in 1979 in the NBA. So, you know, I, 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 I look forward to probably uh, joining them and and having the opportunity to keep on winning, but um, but things work work out for a reason, and I, I can't be more thrilled as as you know I look back on it that the Pistons did draft me because it did give me a chance to start my career in my hometown, and even though I was traded eventually, uh, when I came back and was moving into the my second career, which was broadcasting, it was the same team that drafted me that uh, opened their arms and embraced me as a broadcaster. And, and I've been a broadcaster for the team for the past 34 years now as a result. So, you know, if I don't, if I'm not drafted by the Pistons, uh, then, then that second career probably doesn't happen. Certainly not in Detroit, but uh, who knows if it happens at all. So, you know, things do have a way of, uh, of, of working themselves out uh, in the manner in which they should, even though, you know, we, don't always see it or recognize it at, uh, you know, when it's forming. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting how things fall into place in life in hindsight. When, when you look back at them, go ahead, Hoffman. Yeah. I've got one last question for you, Mr. Kelser. Uh, speaking of the Pistons and looking at the Pistons today, uh, are there any kind of bright spots to look forward to on the, for the season or anything? Um, what what kind of can you give me some glimmers of hope or optimistic? Uh, you're such a positive person. I just I want something to look forward to for this this season. <laughs> if you can take your eyes off the standings and the one loss record, the win <laughs> then, then you'll be fine and you'll be able to appreciate the fact that they're that they're developing young talent right now. They they drafted uh, four guys. One, unfortunately, is Killian Hayes, the point guard, who got hurt seven or seven yeah. games in. And, but he's healing well. He's coming along nicely. But you've got uh, three other rookies, uh, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, Saban Lee, who are all proving that they can play in the NBA. Uh, they just need time and experience, and, and they'll get that. Um, DeLon Wright is an excellent young, guy, young player who – who, uh, who, who has shown that he can run a team, that he can play the point and, and can score and can keep his turnovers down. Uh, Jeremy Grant is another young player who I think uh, a lot of teams want Jeremy Grant, but, you know, if the Pistons determine that, you know, he's a part of the future, you know, who wouldn't want a guy that can score 25 points a night as he's doing right now? Right. Um, yeah. You know, Mason Plumlee is pro 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 providing a, a, a good, basketball sense in the middle with his passing his rebounding and and now his scoring so i mean there are a lot of things that you can be optimistic about 
they're building. And when you're building like this, it could take a couple of years, it could take three years as you continue to mold what you have, add to it as you can. And uh, in two or three years, you look at it and like, oh, okay, now we're ready. Now we're ready to take our step. Um, and that's where the Pistons are right now. So if you can appreciate, you know, that process that, that sometimes has to, uh, has to take place uh, when you're retooling, I know they like to call it uh, restoring because, um, you know, this team was once was a model franchise and has won championships. So it's not uh, a total rebuild. It's a restoring, a restoration. And that's what they're trying to do right now. So, you know, if you can uh, exercise some patience and, 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 and appreciate, uh, you know, how guys have to, to, to take it step by step by step and you watch that and you can actually see the development happening from one month to the next or, or one, one season to the next, then you can enjoy it a whole lot better. Just don't worry about the wins and losses right now. It's not important. Thank you. I just got to practice some patience. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> well, Greg, I want to thank you for your time today and talking about your book with us, Tales from Michigan State. Um, like I was telling Hoffman before we came on, I read this book and you're like a throwback to a time when athletes were role models and they knew they were role models. Uh, you do things the right way. You're, you're, you're professional about the way you go about everyday life. Uh, you're just a good guy and we appreciate you giving us your time, sir. Absolutely. Oh, you're Thank you. And I enjoyed the, uh, the, the, the journey back and, you know, by all means, please let the people know that if they want a copy of the book. All they have to do is go to my website, GregoryKelser.com. They can order it there, GregoryKelser.com. But thank you very much. I've had a lot of fun. Absolutely. Right. Thank, thank you, Mr. Kelser. Have a good night. Good night. Welcome back to the Small Market Podcast. That was our interview with Greg Kelser, who was awesome. Yeah. That was that was a fantastic interview. He was a fantastic guest. Yeah, I had a good time talking to him. He's a he's a real class act. I think we said that before, but very enjoyable. He was very diplomatic, easy to talk to. He didn't want to talk crap about anybody or, you know. <laughs> That's to be expected, Talk though. smack about Bill Lambeer. I was hoping I could get something out of him. Right. But... I was just trying to get the – I knew as soon as he wouldn't take credit for the hook shot that nah, he's not going to talk smack yeah. about Bill Lambeer. Hey man, I gotta I gotta shoot my shot, right? You miss all the exactly. shots you don't take, so that's right. Yeah. But you wanna plug Heather and Holly before we go? Yes. Uh <laughs> <laughs> don't sound so excited. <laughs> I do. Yes. Begrudgingly. <laughs> no, I do I do because I feel like I don't we don't do them justice. They they do a lot for us and we appreciate them being there. Uh, two twenty eight <laughs> 228 East Main Street in downtown Midland, Heather and Holly. Go check them out. <laughs> also, uh, if you like the interview, you should really, 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 to get all the inside stories, check out Greg's book, Tales from Michigan State. You can get it at his website, GregoryKelser.com. That's GregoryKelser.com. That was our show. Be sure to tune in next week, and uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Sports ball. You've been listening to the Small Market Podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, send us a message at smallmarketpodcast at gmail.com, 
or get more behind-the-scenes writings from Hoffman at smallmarketpodcast.blogspot.com. Music for the Small Market Podcast has been provided by the 8-Arm Killer.